What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is your host, Tom, or Robots. Normally, I don't start out episodes like this, but I wanted to give you kind of a preface here with no instrumentation or sound effects or anything in the background to talk about where we're going with this episode and maybe some of the episodes moving forward. Because as we get further and further into the Second Age, you've probably noticed that things are very condensed. We're already about 2,000 years into the Second Age and not a whole lot has happened since the last, or at least through the last episode, other than Everybody starts out pretty good in Numenor. Everybody's friends with the elves and they're doing what the Valar want them to do. And then they start thinking about death and everything starts heading downward. And so that's where we are now. And the rest of the Second Age is highly condensed in the Silmarillion. It is it is complex in detail and yet broad and kind of obtuse at times there's lots of names it's this portion if anything is harder to parse in some ways than some of the other stuff that we've already talked about which sounds a little bit hard to believe but is actually the case here now maybe that's because the information about this is kind of sporadic and uh maybe it was harder for christopher tolkien to kind of pull it all together but i don't know what the specific details are but the way this is laid out feels a bit different from everything else. And there are things that are important that don't get pointed out. And so I'm going to bring those things up a little bit, but I want to focus more on the representation we get here in this text and then expand out more into the greater knowledge that we have from other sources at a later date as we work our way through those sources. So you can kind of keep everything pieced together from the way things were in each of the different books. Because there there has to be a reason why things were set up in a certain way and things were described in a certain order. And I want to stay true to the way that it's presented here. So with all of that said, basically what I'm going to be doing for this episode and maybe some of the ones moving forward is we're going to be going through less of the text, but a little bit more zoomed in with more quoting and breaking things down. I think that's going to be the better way to approach this. We'll see how it goes. 
So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here for over 70 episodes now and for supporting the show, even just listening. Thank you so much for all of that. Oh, and one other note before we dive into this episode, I am working on creating video versions of the episodes that we've done that have so far only been audio versions. So stay tuned for that. I will let you know when we are launching a YouTube channel. It'll probably just be called the Lord of the Rings Lorecast YouTube channel. You'll be able to look it up in the future. And who knows, within a few weeks, maybe we'll have the first video out. And I would love your support there as well. So fun stuff is in the works. Let's get into the episode. So I think what we'll do is we'll take each of the paragraphs as they as they come. And this episode is primarily focused on what was going on in Numenor with the Numenorians around the middle of the Second Age. And in the last episode, we talked about how they were at their height and then they became fearful of death and all of that. This picks up directly after that. So here, I'll read the passage and then we're going to dig into it. It says, Thus the bliss of Westerness became diminished, but still its might and splendor increased. So pause. The bliss of Westerness, the island of Numenor, the being over in the Western part of the world, all of the blessings that were given to them were being taken for granted. And even though that was happening, their might and splendor increased. They became more powerful still. Quote, for the king's And their people had not yet abandoned wisdom. And if they loved the Valar no longer, at least they still feared them. That is a very important line. They no longer loved the Valar, but they still feared them. They knew they were real, but they were still jealous of this undying quality that the elves and the Valar had, and they themselves could not possess. It goes on, it says, They did not dare openly to break the ban meaning to sail into the West, or to sail beyond the limits that had been appointed. Eastward still they steered their tall ships, but the fear of death grew even darker upon them, and they delayed it by all means that they could. And they began to build great houses for their dead, while their wise men labored unceasingly to discover if they might find the secret of recalling life or at the least, of the prolonging of men's days. So not only have they turned their backs from the Valar, they have become so obsessed with this conquering of death that their wise men worked to try to defeat it, to try to either recall life after somebody was dead, or to at least prolong their life. Now, prolonging your life It doesn't sound like a terrible thing. Let's cure disease. Let's help people live longer lives. That doesn't sound bad. But the concept of recalling life, bringing life back to somebody who died, we're talking necromancy. And that might ring a bell because if you are familiar with The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, there is one individual who is known as the necromancer. He lived in a tower in Mirkwood and eventually was revealed to be Sauron himself. Now, it's not specifically stated here, but we know in other materials that Sauron was influencing 
the peoples of Middle-earth, in disguise. Was this part of what he was doing? The passage goes on and says, Yet they achieved only the art of preserving incorrupt the dead flesh of men, and they filled all the land with silent tombs in which the thought of death was enshrined in the darkness. So they're creating mummies. They're trying to handle death in a very different way. And the way this specifically notes it is that they, death was enshrined in the darkness. Now they were just keeping people who had passed away looking like they're alive, but alone in darkness for the rest of time. It's almost symbolic. They turned away from the light of the West only to bury their dead in ways that make them look like they're, they're alive still, but are going to be in darkness until the end of the world. It goes on and says, But those that lived turned the more eagerly to pleasure and revelry, desiring ever more goods and more riches. And after the days of Tar and Kalimon, the offering of the first fruits to Eru was neglected. And men went seldom any more to the hallow upon the heights of Metaltarma in the midst of the land. They turned from the things that were good and no longer even enjoyed life the same way that they did before because they sought more pleasure, more revelry. Nothing was good enough. And on top of all of that, during the lifetime of the 14th king of Numenor, Tar and Kalamon, they neglected the worship of Eru. This is the one location, as we talked about in the last episode, of a place in the world where you had a temple for worshiping the God above everything. And 14 generations later, and albeit long generations, but 14 generations later, they're no longer doing that. They have turned away from so much of what made them great, and now they are in the darkness trying to pleasure themselves and make life worth living when they've turned away from the things that made life worth living to begin with. The next paragraph goes like this. Thus it came to pass in that time that the Numenorians first made great settlements upon the west shores of the ancient lands, for their own land seemed to them shrunken, and they had no rest or content therein, and they desired now wealth and dominion in Middle-earth since the West was denied. They couldn't go West. They were no longer happy with their homeland. They didn't feel like they had enough. And so the age of colonization begins. And it's not called that, but this is absolutely, in my mind, what Tolkien is drawing from. This idea that the cultures of our actual real-world European West were not happy with the things that they already had. They needed to seek out other places, the Americas, Africa, Australia, other locations, India, in order to establish control and power over those people in order to bring back wealth to their own land. It goes on and says, great harbors and strong towers they made, and there many of them took up their abode and they appeared now rather as lords and masters and gatherers of tribute than as helpers and teachers. 
it wasn't too many generations before this that they were still heading over to Middle Earth in order to teach and help the people and rise them up. And now they've turned that completely around and are taking as much as they can. And the great ships of Numenorians were born east on the winds and returned ever laden. And the power and majesty of their kings was increased. And they drank and they feasted and they clad themselves in silver and gold. They became very greedy and they really leaned into this. They partied hard. They showed off their wealth. And yet it didn't satisfy them. It didn't make them happier. It's funny how that works. This is another one of those moments that Tolkien has some very clear insight into the way human beings work. Past a certain level, wealth does not actually make people happier. And yet we still want it. The next paragraph goes on and says, In all this, the elf friends had small part. The elf friends meaning the Numenorians who were still on the side of good, who were still friends with the elves, who were still trying to do things in the old ways. They alone came now ever to the north in the land of Gilgalad, keeping their friendship with the elves and lending them aid against Sauron. I'm going to pause here because, like I was mentioning in the preface of this episode, there is a lot of detail here that is just kind of glossed over. So the land of Gilgalad, there is a land in the northern part of Middle-earth that is still inhabited by elves. Many of them did not return to Valinor. Gilgalad, Elrond, Galadriel, a lot of those people and their, and their people are still up in that part of the world. And so they're still connecting with them. They're still helping them out. They're still friends. But specifically, they're lending their aid against Sauron. And Sauron is not mentioned in this whole section until right here. We know from other sources that he went upon the land as a, as a fair figure and deceived everybody, that he crafted the rings. None of that is described right here. By this point in the history, Sauron is the enemy again. He's already crafted the rings. He's already starting to amass power again in Middle-earth. And he hates not only the elves, but the Numenorians. That sentence goes on and says, And their haven was Pelergir, above the mouths of Anduin the Great. Describing, again, the location in the north that the elves are at. But the king's men sailed far away to the south, and the lordships and strongholds that they made have left many rumors in the legends of men. This is the origin of the founding of locations in Middle-earth from the Numenorians. This is the beginning of the transition from group, a group like the Numenorians into the Gondorians or the Arnorians. They start settling these different locations and they begin in the south. And these are not the elf friends. This is the other group. In this age, as is elsewhere told, Sauron arose again in Middle-earth and grew and turned back to the evil in which he was nurtured by Morgoth, becoming mighty in his service. Already in the days of Tar, Menaster, the 11th king of Numenor, we're going back three generations from the 14th one we just talked about, becoming mighty in his service. This specifically is talking about Sauron working in and with the Numenorians, and you can imagine what kind of influence that had. And then we're told right here that during the days of Tar Menaster, 
he fortified the land of Mordor and had built there the Tower of Barad-dûr. And thereafter he strove ever for the dominion of Middle-earth, to become a king over all kings, and as a god unto men. And Sauron hated the Numenorians because of the deeds of their fathers and their ancient alliance with the elves and allegiance to the Valar. And then we get this interesting little point here. Nor did he forget the aid that Tar Minaster had rendered to Gilgalad of old in that time when the One Ring was forged and there was war between Sauron and the elves of Eriador. This is interesting because it puts a timestamp on the creation of the ring. It was during the 11th reign, the 11th king, Tar Minaster, and there was conflict during this time. And the Numenorians helped the elves. Three generations before the 14th, which we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, where they've now even further pulled themselves away from the elves and the Valar. Now he learned that the kings of Numenor had increased its power and splendor, and he hated them the more, and he feared them, lest they should invade his lands and wrest from him the dominion of the east. But for a long time he did not dare to challenge the lords of the sea, and he withdrew from the coasts. Sauron, we know, is good at biding his time and waiting for the right moment to pounce. And by the 14th generation of Numenorians, now settling the coastlines, moving into what he thinks is his territory, this becomes very threatening to him. And in that time, he has now recreated a fortress and has been influencing the people of Middle-earth either secretively or out in the open in the further eastern areas of the map. And he's beginning to build his armies again. He's bringing darkness back to the lands and the cultures of men. And a big part of that has to do with the rings and some even of the Numenorians who fell under their sway. But we need to get to that after the midbreak, so we'll be right back. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. All 
All right. So here we are in the middle of the show and I am recording this early because I'm going to be gone over the next, well, like week and a half. So I'm trying to get some episodes out there for all of you to enjoy. I will have this episode for the week coming up, obviously, when you're listening to this with the bonus episode as usual. Then I have an extra kind of long episode that's sort of just a double. It's like a a, a separate other topic. We'll say that I'm going to keep this a little bit of a mystery, but that will come out next week. And uh, that will cover my time traveling because I'm going on a trip again. My my wife uh, got this wonderful promotion at work and then she has a convention over in Europe. So her flight is paid for. So a few times now we've been able to do that where we only have to pay for one of us. And then we take a vacation over in Europe and get to see some sites and stuff. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. But I wanted to make sure that you all had your episodes ready. So you might notice that this is. Uh, a little bit limited on my ability to thank people and it will be for the next few weeks so no new people have signed up this week because no extra time has gone by and by the time I get to doing another episode new again there will probably be a bulk of people that I'm gonna have to thank and also reviews to read out so no new reviews this week no new patrons but I am gonna shout out all our VIP peer VIP tier patrons as of today's date words are hard all right we've got AK music lover uh, who's back to that name by the way Anakin Skywalker, Austin C, Azzle Razzle, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, David S, David M, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gavin Alaf, Jesse P, Katie S, Capenna, Larry, Michael E, Nick K, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Rivqua, Sam B, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, Tour Son of Whore, Tyler M, Wes P and who let the Juan out. Thank you to all of our VIP patrons and everybody else who supports the show. And of course, if you want to help me out, make sure this keeps going and get awesome stuff, then go to patreon.com slash L O T R lorecast and check out everything over there. I hope you are all having a wonderful summer, a wonderful few weeks. And I apologize if, if you send me messages on the Patreon or on the Discord or whatever, if I don't have the ability to respond, uh, a good portion of our trip is actually going to be on another cruise, weird enough. And uh, I may or may not have good Wi-Fi and connections and stuff. So, uh, but I'll do my best to catch up when I get back after like the 30th, 31st or something like that. So um, I'll see you then. And I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Thanks again for being here. And uh, here we go. All right, so we need to get back to Sauron because we're given some more information specifically here about Sauron, which is always interesting because he's such a good character. It says, yet Sauron was ever guileful, and it is said that among those whom he ensnared with the nine rings, three were great lords of Numenorean race. So six of the rings of men, of the nine rings of men, went to men who were from Middle Earth that were from some other lineage, but three of them he was able to capture who were of Numenorean stock. And that is a particularly interesting feat. Now, it's not very well explained, but we at least know that much about it. It goes on and says, and when the Ulairi, maybe that's how you pronounce that, arose that were the ring wraiths, his servants and the strength of his terror and mastery over men had grown exceedingly great. He began to assail the strong places of the Numenorians upon the shores of the sea. 
Can you imagine armies from Sauron skirmishing and raiding parties led by ringwraiths attacking your settlements along the sea? That would be terrifying. And I'm sure it was fairly successful for him. In those days, the shadow grew deeper upon Numenor, and the lives of the kings of the House of Elros waned because of their rebellion. Let me say that again. The lives of the kings of the House of Elros, the kings themselves, the people who descended directly from Elros, their lives waned because of their rebellion. Their lifespans decreased. In all of this, they were seeking unending life. And in actuality, their lives got shorter and worse. They'd never been wealthier. They'd never had more food, more things to enjoy. But because they turned away from the path that was deemed the way they should go, worshiping Eru, following the things that the Valar had set out for them, they reaped the reward, I'm putting that in quotes, of shorter lives. And even amidst all of that, it says they hardened their hearts the more against the Valar. They became bitter about it. And the 19th king took the scepter of his father. So now five more generations after the 14th, which was what we were talking about. And he ascended the throne in the name of Adunakor. Lord of the West, and that's what that translates to, forsaking the elven tongues and forbidding their use in his hearing, Adunakor should have been Harunamun. Harunamun is elvish, and all of the kings up until that point took elven names. Adunakor is not an elven name. But even then, they still maintained some of their tradition. It says, it says that yet in the scroll of kings, the name Harunaman was inscribed in the high elven speech because, quote, the kings feared to break utterly this ancient tradition, lest evil befall. It's as if they knew that the things they were suffering were because they were breaking these traditions, and yet there were some traditions they still would not break. Now, this title seemed to the faithful overproud, being the title of the Valar, Lord of the West, and their hearts were solely tied between their loyalty to the House of Elros and their reverence of the appointed powers. So this is what the faithful are going through. There are still people in Numenor who are faithful, who are friends with the elves, who want to live the lives that the Valar told them they should live, and yet they're so torn between following their king and the reverence for the Valar. But then it goes on. But worse was yet to come, for Ar Gimelzor, the 22nd king, was the greatest enemy of the faithful. In his day, the white tree was untended and began to decline, and he forbade utterly the use of the elven tongues and punished those that welcomed the ships of Aresia that still came secretly to the west shores of the land. This was outright banning friendship with the elves 
and the tending of the tree. And so the tree begins to fade away. And we've seen this imagery before. We've seen it in many different places. This is not a good sign. Now, the king also didn't trust any of these people, and so he moved them. Most of them lived on the western side of the island, but instead he moved them to the east where they could be watched. This now is showing signs of fascism. The idea that you take the population and you move them in other places where they can be managed better because you don't trust them, because you're speaking out against them, because they are not like you. This is dangerous stuff, and this is absolutely the kind of thing that Tolkien had lived through in the 20th century. It goes on and says, And the chief dwelling of the faithful in the later days was thus nigh to the harbor of Romena. Thence many set sail to Middle-earth, seeking the northern coasts where they might still speak with the Eldar in the kingdom of Gilgalad. This was known to the kings, but they hindered it not. So long as the Elendili, the elf friends, departed from their land and did not return, for they desired to end all friendship between their people and the Eldar of Aresia, whom they named the spies of the Valar, hoping to keep their deeds and their counsels hidden from the lords of the West. But all that they did was known to Manwe, and the Valar were wroth with the kings of Numenor and gave them counsel and protection no more. And the ships of Aresia came never again out of the sunset, and the havens of Andunai were forlorn. So the Valar pull back, and they stop sending their elf friends over, and they're like, well, if you're going to go off and do what you want, then you're going to reap the rewards of doing whatever you want. Good luck. Basically, we can't force you to love us. We can't force you to listen. So if you're going to go off and do what you want, then go off and do what you want. It's kind of a prodigal son kind of scenario. And then we're given this little passage here, which is interesting because it gives us some insight into the way the culture and the groups of people in Numenor were structured. It says here that highest in honor after the houses of the kings were the lords of Andunai, for they were of the line of Elros, being descended from Silmarion, daughter of Tar Elendil, the fourth king of Numenor. So this separate line of lords came from like the king's line and are now known as the lords of Anundai. And these lords were loyal to the kings and revered them. And the lord of Anundai was ever among the chief counselors of the scepter. This is a group, the counselors of the scepter. Yet also from the beginning, they bore a special love to the Eldar, and reverence for the Valar. And as the shadow grew, they aided the faithful as they could. But for long they did not declare themselves openly, and sought rather to amend the hearts of the lords of the scepter with wiser counsels. This group, the lords of the Andunai, were secretly trying to influence the line of kings and other people to go back to the old ways. And they were friends with the elf friends. Although they couldn't come out openly and say it, they were helping where they could, trying not to reveal themselves and to have an influence secretly on the inside. It's pretty cool. This section goes on and says, There was a lady in Zilbeth, renowned for her beauty 
and her mother was Lindori, sister of Erendur, the lord of Andunai, in the days of Ar Sekalthor, father of Ar Gimilzor. These are new kings, so you can tell by the R at the beginning of the name that haven't been mentioned yet. Ar Sakalthor, words are hard. Sakalthor, we'll call it Sakalthor, uh, is the 22nd in line, and Ar Gimilzor is the 23rd king in line. And Gimilzor took her to wife, though this was little to her liking, for she was in heart one of the faithful, being taught by her mother. But the kings and their sons were grown proud and not to be gainsaid in their wishes. So she had no way of not going forward with this, which, again, sounds kind of terrible. And we wrap up this section of the book with a little bit more insight into this pairing and how it played out. It says, No love was there between Ar Gimelzor and his queen, or between their sons. In Zaladin, the elder was like his mother in mind, as in body, but Gimelkad, the younger, went with his father, unless he were yet prouder and more willful. To him, our Gimilzor would have yielded the scepter rather than to their elder son, if the laws had allowed. Obviously, he wanted the son that was more in line with his perspective to get the throne. But that's not what happens. We end up with a very short period of time where the perspective of the kings reverses for a little bit. But is that enough to save the Numenorians? And what effect does that have? This little section here at the end is where things really start to get in the nitty gritty with the different names and details and the complexities of the kings of Numenor. And we're going to continue more of that in the next episode. Well, actually two episodes from now, because we've got kind of this middle episode while I'm out of town. So stay tuned for that. I hope this is helping explain some of this section of the Silmarillion because it is very dense and it, it continues this way for a while. So hopefully that helps you get through this part and I hope you're enjoying the show still. Thank you for being here and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.